As you've heard two weeks ago tonight, David started the series on the elevated Jesus. This has got ahead of itself, so let's go back if we can to where it ought to be. There we are, elevated Jesus. And then it's punctuated every other week by a series entitled The Controversial Jesus. So two weeks ago, just to remind you, David started us off, he introduced the book of Hebrews to us, and while there is no certainty as to who wrote this book, there certainly is no doubt as to what its theme is, the exalted Christ, Jesus over all, is the theme. And David spelled that out a little bit, by reminding us from this chapter that was read to us this evening that Jesus is heir of all things, creator of all things, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature, upholding the universe by his word, and he's the sin bearer. Wonderful details all pointing out the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when this particular book was written, uh, we know that the Christians were suffering greatly. This was written at a time of real difficulty. Remember those who are in prison, we read, those who are mistreated, those who joyfully accept the plundering of their property. Uh, th th there, there was some strange teaching that was creeping into the church at the time, and that had to be Corrected. So behind this book, there are a whole lot of issues that the writer is, is, is dealing with. And it, it must have been written before AD 70, whenever the sacrificial system ended by the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans with terrible bloodshed. Because we can see in this book that the Jewish sacrificial system is still operating. It's referred to. Whereas after AD 70, it certainly was not. And the theme of the book, and where I want to leave you, uh, David has been very good throughout his ministry here and before he came here in hitting us where the rubber hits the road, applying the word of God to us, showing us things that need to be done. The so what of his preaching has been very significant. And, and as I thought of this this evening, uh, I, I, the so what of this is just to underscore the fact that all our hopes are absolutely vested in the Lord Jesus Christ. Most of us, if not all of us, are, are familiar with the, the, the great stories that are told in the Bible. We can see how God spoke in, in so many different ways. Uh, we, we, we remember the, you know, the story of the call of Abraham. We're familiar with it. Although we're Gentiles, there are many aspects of the Jewish faith because of its, our roots are there that, that, that we're, we're familiar with. How God called the children of Israel out of Egypt, the dramatic stories of their deliverance, the, the ups and downs in Canaan, the terrible thunder at Sinai when the commandments were given. We're familiar with this. And so whenever the chapter speaks of this fact, uh, 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 in the past God spoke through our forefathers, through the prophets at many times in various ways. We understand that. 
we've got a grasp of what that, what that means. We're Gentiles, but we, we have been able to learn and to listen by faith to some of the great statements and ways in which God spoke in the past. We've learned of God speaking through angels and through miracles and through circumstances and, and through history and through men and women changed by the Holy Spirit. And yet, and David referred to this, and others have referred to it here, modern thinkers cast great doubt upon the capacity of language. I don't want to go off at a tangent here, but they, they do. They, 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 I have thoughts in my mind now. And in order to communicate them to you, I clothe them in words. I can never be quite sure whether they are formulating in your mind the thoughts that I have. Words have their limitations. And God in his wonderful sovereignty takes that into account. And so he sends Jesus. He sends Jesus that he's, he has become flesh and blood. In order for us to know what God is like, instead of just describing and making himself clear through all these various ways and through stories and angels and patriarchs and others, in the end he says, well, God's word became flesh and dwelt among us. Observe Jesus and you see God. It's just wonderful. But I want you to put yourself into this story. I want you to adopt a position in this story where you become an Israelite in the first century. Because remember, this is written to Hebrews. And, and so I want you to put yourself into the story and try and imagine what it would be like to have been alive in this first century. All of this we've got. But, you know, imagine you've been faithful to the Jewish faith. You've studied the Torah of the law. You've endeavored to keep it. You've been a synagogue goer regularly. It has been difficult under Roman occupation, but you have persevered as a Jew under extremely difficult circumstances. And then you heard about this rabbi. This rabbi, this Galilean, this man called Jesus, or Jeshua, as you may have known him, and you've heard about him and his claims to be Messiah, and you have been looking for the Messiah. You have been taught about the coming one who would deliver Israel, and now you hear about the claims of this man, and you've heard about the miracles, how the dead have been raised, the deaf have had their ears unstopped. The blind have seen thousands fed miraculously by a little boy's lunch. All of this you've heard. You've begun to, you've begun to think, perhaps, perhaps, could he really be the one? And you're quite excited about it. And you heard he died being crucified by those cruel Romans that you've grown to hate. But then there's stories of his resurrection. He has risen again from the dead. And this has excited you. And, and you, you, you really do, you want to believe it. Is this Jesus 
really the Messiah? And yet, the rabbis are saying, can't be. A man, a mere carpenter, claiming to be God? And the doubts have begun to creep in. Could he really be the one? The doubts have begun to creep in. Then, is this Jesus the Son of God or not? Because that really is the issue. And that's the issue into which this letter, this sermon, this book has been written. It's into this issue to try and persuade young Hebrew believers who were beginning to waver, trying to persuade them, is this Jesus, the Son of God, or is he not? This is the great issue. It's the big question. It's absolutely fundamental. Old John the Apostle said, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And then he, exemplary, he amplifies that. Who is he who overcomes the world? Only he or she who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This is fundamental. The, 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 the good news that we have to proclaim to a lost world is more than a narrow preoccupation with personal salvation. Now, I know that's vital. And I know the gospel is so central to our evangelical faith. It's vital. The good news that the true king of the universe, though, has come not only to make salvation available, but it's so much more than that. He's come to establish his kingdom, to reassert sovereign authority over the whole cosmos. Satan and the part of darkness that seem to have such a grip on things now, he's come to bring an end to all that. And he's the heir of all things. He's the creator of all things. He's the radiance, and David made a point of that, not merely a reflection of God's glory. He is the source of that. He is God the Son the exact imprint of God's nature, upholding the universe by his power, the sin-bearer enthroned in heaven. What a message we have for this world. Where, where sin is so dominant, and yet God has given notice that he's going to reverse the fall that Jesus will one day present to his Father the full fruits of his cross work. A universe, a cosmos, a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness, justice and righteousness restored. It's such an exciting story. It's such an and, and And it even goes on, and Nigel read it this evening, even to that point, you know, when we add the, the stereo headpiece of the New Testament, uh, we, we, we find 
that it's angels who announce the birth of Jesus. You know, angels come into the story, let all God's angels worship him. Angels were important, you see, to Jewish literature and Jewish thinking. And so in this letter to Israel or this book to Israel or this sermon to Israel, whatever it was, let all the angels of God, don't miss that. Don't miss the significance of that in there. They are awesome creatures. There are various types, cherubim, seraphim, messenger angels, rank and file angels. They will be our fellow citizens in heaven. The Bible tells us, and Nigel read it this evening, are they not ministering spirits sent to minister to those who are the heirs of salvation? You can't minister in absentia. Angels are interacting with us, whether we know it or not. I would be surprised if there aren't some here this evening. Now, some people think I'm going nuts, but nevertheless... The clear teaching of Scripture is that these angelic beings interact with us, ministering spirits sent to minister to those who are the heirs of salvation. It is fascinating to read that story right back in the Old Testament, and you know it, I think, pretty well, where Elisha is on the mountain and he's surrounded by the Aramean army, and I just digress for a moment. But you see, we read these stories back there as though they are detached from reality and detached from us. But he's on the mountain and his servant is with him and they're surrounded by the Aramean armies and his servant is terrified. And Elisha is as calm as a mathematical equation. And Gehazi doesn't understand. And the old prophet says, Lord, Open his eyes. And God answers prayer. And suddenly his, his servant sees the host of heaven surrounding them. And Elisha quietly says, and already convinced his servant was convinced already, he, those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. Angels. And it's these angels that God in this chapter inspires the writer to say, let all God's angels worship him, quoting from the Old Testament. Wonderful. The Lord opened his eyes and we see all showing the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. In every way. You know, I've developed a new mantra the future is Jesus. This world doesn't know it yet. But the future is Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this, not just simply personal salvation, which is important, but we have to tell a world the, the message of Hebrews 1 that the future is Jesus. He will restore righteousness and justice to this earth that is so disorientated, so unhappy, so much in despair. And we have a message. God's not going to leave it that way. Our gospel is, yes, that you can have personal salvation through trusting in Jesus. Oh, but it's so much more. 
that God is going to restore full righteousness and justice, a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. You know, at our house group the other night, and by the way, thank you. I want to say thank you to, to Windsor. Betty and I are so grateful to being received into this fellowship and for the friendship and the love we've found here. And at our house group the other night, we were discussing the whole question of reaching out in evangelism. And one of the things we concluded was that you don't necessarily have to go around twisting the circumstances and the conversation around in order to get a word in for Jesus. I'm not dismissing that, but that's not really what the Bible talks about. It says, be always ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you and do it with meekness and fear. But hope that are we reflecting because this is evangelism it's not just what happens from this pulpit are we reflecting in our working day in our community in our families real hope are we excited about the future because when we are people are going to see because that's not the nature of society today society is not society is not full of hope there's a great deal of despair and uh, and we should be reflecting hope such that people say, Haddon, David, Nigel, what is it that makes you different? What is it that gives you that smile in your face? What is it that lets you look to the future with confidence? And you can say, because my God has everything under control and my Jesus is enthroned and the future is Jesus. That's really the theme I want you to take away with you. Back on the 23rd of December, Sam was gone, he's somewhere else down there, but Sam, I'm going to repeat it again. I was speaking in Ballinahinch, and I concluded with some verse that I first heard 30 years ago in Ballinahinch from Gloria Kearney David, and you will have heard me quote it before. But I want to quote it again this evening as I conclude. Because to me it, it just sums up the excitement that is ours. Because the crowning day is coming. Every decade of me, my life has been more exciting than the one before, believe it or not. Now, sometimes some of the excitement has been a bit of a mystery to me, like a couple of strokes, but nevertheless, <laughs> I, 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 no, but it has, you know, you know I, I told you before, I like new experiences, but, <laughs> but, but you know something, the next decade is going to be the most exciting. I'm going to see Jesus. I'm going to see Jesus. And, and the, the, the words of this piece of poetry, and I don't know its source, I just know that Gloria gave it to me. I know she didn't write it. All hail, Redeemer, we adore thy glorious name forevermore. Supreme above all names, thy name shall gather everlasting fame. And when unmeasured life shall rise before our griefless, fearless eyes, when joyful 
song and service blend, nor ever pause, nor ever end. Unchanged the chorus shall remain, worthy the Lamb who once was slain. Then on and on increasingly, in sweetest, holiest harmony, the saints' unfettered tongues inspired shall sing as long we had desired and gazing, gazing on the Lord of light with irrepressible delight we'll scan the noble scars he wears admire the glittering crown he bears his face behold without a veil and sing in unison all hail but hark the angels cannot wait to join the song exhilarate. In concert with the saints they raise harmonious unity of praise and with untiring energy, with holy heavenly ecstasy, a myriad tongues no more diverse around the boundless universe in a vast crescendo of accord say Jesus Christ alone is Lord. And shout, and shout, and shout again. The Lord is King. Amen. Amen. The crowning day is coming. And if you know Jesus, you're going to be there. You're going to be there. I didn't witness his first coming. But I'm going to witness his second coming. Whether I'm in heaven and come with him or here when he comes, doesn't really matter. I'm going to be there. And I'm going to be in that crowning day when he hands the whole fruit of his cross work to his father. I hope you're going to be there too. I hope you're going to be there too. And what's the qualification? To recognize your need of Jesus. He came... He died, he rose again, and God says there's no plan B but trusting him and you're part of that great company with this wonderful future. In God's name, don't miss it. Don't miss it.